everybody. Welcome to Emmaus Way on this Sunday night, Labor Day weekend. It's nice to see everybody here. We're going to start out with a song tonight called Water When the Well is Dry by Buddy Miller.
Thank you, Mark and Bands, for that great introduction. Sometimes you do bring up water when the well is dry. Sometimes. Um, that wasn't intentionally funny, but maybe it was. Um, welcome to Emmaus Way. My name's Ben. I'm on staff here. We're glad to have you with us tonight. Um, one thing we always do, particularly at the front end of our gatherings, um, is to try and involve our children in some way, who we consider as full and free and significant members of our community in all sorts of ways. Um, and so I think... Azalea Bain. Oh no, Barbara is going to talk about this piece of art we have over here. Barbara, you want to talk into this mic? Would that be comfortable for you? Hello. We had the privilege a few weeks ago to work with the children on covering the whole idea of us as a congregation, as a community, being the sheep and God being the shepherd. So one of the stories that we discussed was the um, 100 sheep, the 99 that were there, and the one missing. And during that time, Mr. Joel was away for a few weeks, so he was our missing sheep. (laughs) We're so glad God found him. And uh, we all participated. All of the children worked on individual sheep um, and coordinated different parts of the mural kind of picture and anytime you want to ask them about what part they did I'm sure they would love to share that with you thank you so much Barbara so maybe with that introduction our kids would as they always do lead us in our community song for the week you guys so that right there picture on the wall song in the gathering that's what we hope is like some little representation of something that is a very significant part of our community that tends to happen out of sight um, Joel and Barbara and some up, a couple other children's teachers upstairs are guiding our kids through spiritual formation and what what God is and what we are as a community and those things sort of happen um, while we're doing our thing so welcome again um, couple of announcements sort of thing. The big one that we're going to start ramping up to in a real way tonight in the dialogue is Emmaus Way is sometime in the last six months turned 10 years old as a community. I don't know if anyone even knows what date it happened, but apparently it's happened. And we're sort of marking that on September 20th in our Sunday gathering. Um, Actually starting that weekend with a potluck gathering on Saturday evening at the Jakes's house. Um, And then we're kind of dedicating that whole Sunday evening on the 20th to storytelling um, about what our community has been, what it's meant, um, and we would conceive that as people in this room, people, we've reached out to people who have long been part of this community but moved elsewhere, Um, but on that, we want to really double down and encourage you again to send in your stories, just a brief remembrance, a 30-second video, a paragraph, a quote, like an anecdote, something that's said Emmaus way to you or been particularly significant in your journey with this community. If you want to send that to either mark at net or elizabeth at net 
or ben at emmausway.net. Just put in a name and then at emmausway.net and send it. And we're going to kind of aggregate those, and those will be the bulk of our dialogue And that evening. Mark's going to do some musical things, and we want to interweave those with stories from the community. So please do that. We're asking to try and get those in by the 13th, which is a week from today, so that we have time to spend that next week aggregating them into something you know, coherent and beautiful. All right. So, um, Tim, I think you had something you were going to mention as well. Just a couple of welcomes. Your, uh, uh, Molly is here as our new co-pastor, and she will take part in the worship gathering, so you'll get to hear a little bit of her story, but certainly welcome her, and uh, we're delighted. Uh, she and James moved, what, three weekends ago, four weekends ago? So are you still in boxes, or they're, they're, they're settled in? Uh, law school has begun, uh, and so uh, these guys are, are here, and uh, we're delighted that they're, that they're here. And then Mary Elizabeth Henshee's over here. Would you wave to everybody? She is a new intern that's starting. Is today your official like first date? Or we're not sure about that. But <laughs> she's here, <laughs> and we're absolutely delighted to have her. She is a uh, finishing uh, divinity student at Duke, and a friend of many in our community. It brings some amazing gifts in terms of uh, an artistic background. Uh, work with various populations, has been uh, on staff, uh, lay leader, bunch of stuff at Watt Street Baptist Church uh, just down the road. And so uh, please sail into her tonight as well, and you will hear from her often in our worship gathering, and uh, and uh, she'll be around. Both these guys will be kind of connecting with people over the next several weeks uh, to just get a sense of our community. So that's who they are. Thanks, Tim. This is very much a time of like new people and new beginnings and new everything. And it feels like Labor Day is kind of the last gasp. But if you were holding out for summer still being a thing, it is over, okay? <laughs> and you just need to let it go. So as of today. Um, but then also, you know, new people showing up. If you're new to Emmaus Way, we're really glad to have you visiting us. Our community is a vibrant one, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. If you want to find a way to connect with that, um, there are a variety of ways to do that. There's a green card in the entryway over there that will give you kind of a list of people to connect with if you want to get involved with pub group or a small group or a volunteer rotation or all sorts of things. If you want to meet with a staff person, there's contact information there. Um, yeah, so check that out. Talk to someone afterwards. There's always a dinner group usually that goes out afterwards as well. So lots of ways to connect, get involved, and get to know our community. Um, I think with that, we're going to turn it back over to Mr. Williams here for our songs of preparation. But I'm going to keep Ben up here for a minute, too. Thanks, Ben. Tonight's, uh, tonight's dialogue, uh, we're targeting the idea of talking about communities uh, that have shaped our lives and formed our lives, communities uh, that have forged our experiences and that have brought us each individually here to this time and place. So this uh, song is one that Ben introduced me to couple of years ago when it first came out uh, Ben said oh man you got to hear this song like there's there's some interesting things going on here and so I, I I don't I don't remember if I listened to it then or if it wasn't until this week <laughs> I listened to it. but I remember it in my head I was like oh okay we got to get that merry-go-round song someday so this week I thought of it and I would love to hear from you Ben just for a minute of what was it about this song you know what, when you first heard this this clicked for you in a particular way and I'm I'm curious if we could all sort of hear part of your process on that. Sure. So, I mean, I first encountered this song as someone who grew up in the South hating country music. Um, and this is very much a country music song. I think I hated country music not so much because of its sonic presence. Like, I, I tend to like, you know, Southern rock 
country sort of sort of sounds, but it seemed like that whole genre, particularly, you know, I'm growing up in like late 90s, early 2000s, like coming of age, and that whole genre seemed to say that a lot of things that I were was experiencing is very complicated, like faith and growing up in a small town and like, you know, politics and uh, just families and all that sort of stuff was just really not that complicated. And you just kind of needed to buckle down and, and be all for all of those things um, up against the entire rest of the world. And so when I first heard this song, it felt like, wow, here's this country song that's aggressively cutting against that narrative and saying, growing up in a small town, there might be a lot more happening there than, than yeah, than, than country music would have you believe. This idea that, that I think when I, when I listened through it again this week, the first line that really hit me with a gut punch was same hurt in every heart. This idea that we're all struggling with these things that go unspoken and being from that kind of place that encourages that lack of asking questions and lack of conversation can be formative in a really, really painful sort of way. So, yeah. Thank you very much. It's nice to have context. It already sounds like a country song, doesn't it? got two kids by 21 you're probably gonna die alone at least that's what tradition told you and it don't matter if you don't believe come Sunday morning you best be there in the front row like you're supposed to same hurt in every heart trailer different part Mama's hooked on Mary Kay Brother's hooked on Mary Jane Daddy's hooked on Mary Tudor's town Mary Mary quite contrary We get bored so we get married Just like us we settled in this town this broken merry-go-round round round we go where it stops nobody knows it ain't slowing down this merry-go-round we think that the first time's good enough so we hold on to high school so it won't end up like our parents Little, little boxes and a row Ain't what you want, it's what you know Just happy in the shoes you're wearing Same checks were always cash To buy a little more distraction Mama's hooked on Mary Kate Brother's hooked on Mary Jane Daddy's hooked on Mary Tudor's town Mary, Mary, quite 
contrary. We get bored, so we get married. Just like dust, we settled in this town. All this broken, merry go round, round, round we go. Where it stops, nobody knows. It ain't slowing down. Merry go round. Merry, merry, quite contrary. We're so bored until we're buried. Just like dust, we settle in this town. All this broken, merry go Jack burned out on booze and pills. And Mary had a little lamb. And Mary just don't give a damn no more. So I want to think of this uh, song that we just did, which oh, I have to go back for a second. Just. Out of this is just so funny to me. Who, where, where besides a country song can you rhyme parents and wearing? Isn't that great? <laughs> Saying we won't end up like our parents and just happy in the shoes you're wearing. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> I love that. There's so many dropped G's in this too that like my word processor was just going crazy. It was like none of these things are words. There are no words in this entire song. <laughs> But, uh, but, but I, I was thinking how with uh, that song and then with this song we're about to do, I was thinking how in some ways it sort of foreshadows uh, what we'll be doing later with Confession and Absolution. Because the story that Ben told um, about sort of growing up in small town, um, small town North Carolina in Ben's case, and, and sort of getting this sense of like, is there any other way? Is, is there a way out of this? Um, or is this just sort of the way life is and I'm sort of stuck in this deal and I can't really get off the merry-go-round? In sort of response to that, I, I, I did not write this song in response to that song, but in response to a, a similar situation in some ways, I wrote this song uh, several years ago. Um, and this song for me, in, in talking about a community that shaped me, um, there are several places in this song that Emmaus Way shows up for me as a community that offered me hope uh, in the midst of a time that was very difficult for me. When, when I indulge me, for those of you who know the story, for those of you who don't, um, when I showed up at Emmaus Way, it was sort of uh, 2006, seven, somewhere in there. Um, and I was going through a really awful divorce at the time. And uh, I, I had been involved with a couple of different churches who uh, were, were pretty... Um, we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty much sort of, sort of shunning me during that time, and and uh, making my life even, even more difficult uh, and miserable than it already was. Um, and somehow, this community was one that embraced me and that allowed me to uh, heal and allowed me to uh, be honest about the hurts and struggles that I was going through, as well as being honest about the ways that I had been a failure in, in my life in certain uh, places. And so this song to me was sort of about living in the already and the not yet. It was living in a place of seeing hope, living in a place of seeing that there might in fact be 
a, a better day on the horizon, but also living in the experience that that day wasn't fully here yet, that that day had not quite fully arrived. So this is a song uh, called Almost. I'm 
Thanks, Mark. That's the first time you've done that one in Emmaus Way, isn't it? I think I might have done it one time, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for pulling that out. That's fantastic. Hey, um, as we get started tonight, I wanted to pause. I know for many in the community, uh, with Thursday night, Wednesday night, uh, we all kind of had a Facebook gasp as we look and, and saw the post from Kate Bowler, who is a much beloved friend of this community. If you don't know her, she's a, a faculty member at Duke uh, Divinity School, was uh, a part of a man's way, I think our first three or four years together. And uh, she had had a... a uh, a disastrous uh, doctor's appointment that day and was found with, um, I think, colon cancer and potentially uh, some liver cancer, stage four, and uh, was uh, rushed into surgery the next day. And we all absolutely love Kate. And she uh, posted uh, in typical Kate form, uh, doesn't look good, but please, uh, she was never one to mince words, but uh, pray deeply for me. And, uh, and we certainly love her. And I wanted to pray for her tonight and, uh, and Tobin, their family, all those things. Uh, so let me begin us in prayer. I may leave it in the space of silence if you have a word or two that you want to say, please fill that space up, and I'll, I'll close our prayer with the, the collect of the day from the Book of Common Prayer, but uh, we certainly will be friends that uh, with, pray with, with Kate and her family uh, through this process. Is there, I want to say real quickly, Brandon may have known this, but was there an update from uh, post-surgery? Did anybody, does anybody have a kind of a, a yeah, sure, Mary Elizabeth. That, um, they were, it's better. Fantastic, and there. I think they were talking about maybe three months of chemo for her. So, uh, and certainly we will be more than ecstatic to be mobilized in any way to to care for these guys and their neighbors. For many of you here, so uh, just dear friends of this community. But thank you, Mary Elizabeth. But let's pray. God, we speak to you as those who are often um, not in a position of knowing and not in a position of understanding and not in a position of always even seeing the hope that's very real to us. And we pray as a community tonight that you would be uh, deeply present uh, to our sister Kate uh, in so many ways, uh, comforter, healer, friend, lover, all of those things that uh, she might be deeply uh, surrounded by your love and your presence as she recovers from surgery, as she begins the next stage of her care. We pray for her whole family that uh, they might know not only that you are present to them, but we are present uh, to her and them as, as part of your mercy and goodness. And we know that many have prayed for her uh, from the Divinity School to congregations in this community, and we want to join that chorus of persons that are uh, seeking your mercy and your love and your presence. Um, and we, we pray deeply for our sister Kate. pray for Tobin and for Zach uh, during this time that you would sustain them and give them hope and life, give them presence uh, of friends and loved ones around them. Pray that you would be present in their lives as well. 
bless them as they love their wife and mother and bring peace to them during this time. God, Kate, is such a woman of generous hospitality with people and just humor. We pray that she would be able to receive generous hospitality and receive humor as she goes through the next long haul of chemo and that you would keep her spirits up to enjoy and laugh about. And I also just pray specifically that you would bring back music to her that's encouraging to her that she might be able to express what she's feeling through that and just be encouraged. God, I just also ask you to just provide us your presence during this time and the whole community that have we really rushed and supported and, and come around them um, to hold them together in this in this time. But I also ask you to help us to just to, to learn to be present even in the pain uh, of the not yet. Help us to um, to be with them in this pain and not to try to just fix it, but to to love them in the midst of it, to see you through in the midst of this pain. And this is the prayer for today. Grant us, O Lord, we pray to Thee, to trust in You with all our heart, seeing that as Thou dost always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, but Thou do not forsake those who make their boast in Your mercy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with Thee in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Thank you for those prayers, I'm sure. Um, There's always great hope and even great mystery in in praying together as a community. I want to give you a chance, as we do typically in our uh, worship gathering, to stand and greet each other and offer each other the peace of Christ. It's a good chance to grab some coffee or a snack or whatever. Um, If you're around somebody that you don't know, certainly introduce yourself, and I'll give us a shout probably tonight in about two minutes uh, to get back into it. So just a quick recap to uh, folks who are uh, with us for the first time tonight or um, have, have been around or traveling this summer. Um, we have been spending a great deal of energy over the last um, uh, 8, 9, 10, 12 weeks on the notion of storytelling. And we've been deeply interested in the idea of, of um, how our stories form us. And we've been doing a good bit of storytelling in our gathering. Uh, many of the weeks we've had folks jump on the stool and talk a little bit about their own life narrative. And uh, Mark was kind of modeling that tonight. We're also in the middle of a practice for us that's deeply significant to kind of how we do church. And, and we've been kind of very intentionally doing even more than normal relational meetings. So I hope you've been doing that. The, the, the whole idea is just to find 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or even in the fabric of our worship gathering gathering as we do the peace or the communion table to, um, to begin to talk and listen to each other and hear each other's story. We've been doing, we worked through Henry Nouwen's, uh, uh, to, to me, amazing book on the prodigal, return of the prodigal son with kind of a template of questions that we would ask ourselves in terms of a spiritual autobiography. And so that's what we've been doing. If, uh, if you weren't around much this summer, um, 
uh, tonight marks kind of a, a four-week kind of thing that we're going to, to begin tonight and do together that kind of puts its arms around our celebration that will be coming up in two weeks. And here's kind of the, the fabric of this is um, we tonight want to talk a little bit about the idea of how faith and, and, and in some cases, struggle for faith, but how faith and meaning comes out of, of community stories and communities that we've been a part of and, and how we've been formed as a part of our community life. Uh, I was talking to Jordan uh, Cheney on the phone, and he's bummed that he's not here. They're down at the, the beach this weekend. Uh, but we were just talking about a, a, a current event, and we were kind of just hashing that out over the phone. And it, he very naturally kept saying, my entry point to this event comes from being a part of this community, being part of that community, and being part of that community. These have entirely, uh, in, in good and negative ways, prejudiced my entry into that conversation. And I said, Jordan, that's exactly what we're going to be doing uh, this week, is talking about the communities that have influenced uh, personal faith uh, for us. Um, next week, what we'll do is transition a little bit and talk a little bit about the journey of this community. And how we have struggled to understand faith together, how we've struggled to understand mission and discipleship and all of those things. Uh, one of the amazing things about Emmaus Way, I love this in every way, but because we do a dialogue, one of the things that we say is kind of a, a soundbite that's deeply true is that with every new person in our community, that conversation changes a little bit. Your presence changes that and is a community that has had plenty of people come and go uh, located kind of near the universities. Uh, our conversation is always changing. Our understanding of what it means to be faithful people in Durham is always changing and we're always working that out as a community. And so we're going to talk a a little bit next week about a, the journey, that kind of the 10-year journey of how we've located ourselves as persons in this community. And hopefully another theme that we've talked about in terms of our own spiritual development is fostering the sense of gratitude, which in many ways is the most significant spiritual discipline to be ready to receive God's love. And, and we've thought that for us, our celebration in, in a couple of weeks will be framed around this whole notion of celebration and then after that, I'd like to wrap this conversation up uh, for the moment with really thinking about the notion of what I'm calling the I and the we, is that even though we're all parts of, of communities and groups and families and associations, there's still a person there, and there's still a sense of personal agency, personal thought, personal worship, and being a church that's very focused on community, sometimes we speak less about the I, and so I'm looking forward to, in a, in a few weeks, talking a little bit about kind of our own personal positionality as a part of this community and the other communities that we're about. But I hope tonight will be an opportunity for you to share about some of the communities that have influenced uh, your own sense of faith and meaning and struggle and all of those things. So I'm going to turn that over to you, but I say that now so you can maybe start thinking about that because I'm going to just turn that one question over as our dialogue tonight. Um, there's not a text tonight except for, um, I, I, and I, I've thought about this, um, is the, uh, we haven't talked about this uh, text in a long time, maybe four or five years, but uh, the story of Jonah. 
Remember Jonah, the whale, the whole nine yards? Um, I was rereading that this week, and one of the things that is, strikes you immediately about this story is that you can't understand what's going on in the story, even though it's prominently focused on this prophet who is, in many ways, forced to go and evangelize a, a, a neighbor, a hated neighbor country, uh, throws a temper tantrum, is almost killed by a fish, and all sorts of things, but you really can't understand his story and his position in the story without understanding the community that shaped this. So here's just a couple of quick thoughts. Um, The word of God came to him and said, go to Nineveh. His reaction to that was violent. He went in the opposite direction. This wasn't, in my mind, due to fear. It was due to an understanding of the geopolitic of the world that he lived in. If you're a prophet and your job is to observe the sinfulness of your own people, and there happens to be the most powerfully warlike nation that one could imagine on the the northern perimeter of your country, and all of a sudden the God who you report to says, hey, you might go up there and evangelize those folks and go up there and kind of put them as a part of God's mercy. Um, Jonah understood really quickly what that meant. That meant that Assyria was going to be used to punish his straying people. And so in many ways, his story begins in a sense of patriotism, a story of a man who understood where his nation was and how his nation stood in the politics of his day. Um, It goes from there where, and if you remember the story, he's on a ship, he's going the opposite direction, and a huge storm uh, arises And everybody seems to understand that this storm is divinely based in some way, that this is God's wrath. This is not the normal storm. It's not Gilligan's Island. It's something much, much bigger than that. And they begin to look at each other and say, who has offended a God on this boat? And at one point in time, um, Jonah kind of raises his hand and he he, he makes this claim, I'm a Hebrew. This is my nation. This is my people. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's actually a fairly strange claim for a God. What made the Hebrews quite weird was this sense that they didn't perceive their God to be a local God, but a transcendent God, a God who was the maker of of waves, makers of the sea, makers of the sky. And the people on the boat heard that and heard that story and heard that kind of theological tradition. And they said, oh crap, or something a lot stronger than that. And there wasn't a whole lot of decision-making at that point in terms of we need to throw this guy overboard. He doesn't seem to be protesting too much, and he's in the water fairly quickly. And if you know this story, swallowed by a fish, he's in the depths of the water. And even then, as he is describing his story, or more accurately, as this story was written about Jonah, another community comes into play in the telling of the story. If you were to read Jonah 2, his story, story about being surrounded in the depths of the water is a classic uh, Hebrew psalm. If you were to read many of the traditions of the Lament Psalms, this is a classic rendition of that, uh, of that psalm. And so there's a textual tradition, a poetic tradition, a, a liturgical tradition that gives meaning and understanding to his experience. Now, as the story resolves, and it's kind of a funny story, he goes and gives... You know, the way I read it, the most half hearted sermon one could ever imagine. Kind of walks through the streets, maybe at a low voice, repent, God's 
come and repent. God's coming. Go ahead and repent. It would be bad if you don't repent, but repent. And, you know, God, you know, and, and, and for some strange reason, the Assyrians repent at such an amazing level that they're not just wearing sackcloth and ashes. They're fitting their pets with sackcloth and ashes. I mean, they're walking dogs with little, not just little sweaters, but things that say, I'm guilty too type of things. I mean, there is an obsessive, complete repentance of the people. And Jonah begins to understand this moment in a deep theological tradition. There's a liturgical uh, saying that is said in many of the scriptures of the Old Testament about God's compassion and relenting from judgment. And Jonah knows that. And as the story ends, it ends basically in a temper tantrum. He's outside the city. He's hoping that their, their penitence is pretty lame to God. He's still hoping they'll be punished. And a tree grows up, a, a vine, a plant, a, a, something that, is, that would give him shade. And he understands his story at that point from a deeply scriptural tradition. And he understands texts like in Psalm 22 and many others where often the growth of a tree, uh, this is kind of where the, the legacy of Jesus on the cross comes from, was a sign of God's judgment. And so he sees this vine grow up and he's thinking, oh my goodness, Yahweh has relented and heard my prayers and is going to wipe these people out. Uh, and then the vine withers. And the withering of the vine is a deep symbol of, for him of the mercy of God. And so we leave with him screaming and shouting and deeply aware that the people of Assyria will be, and Nineveh will be, uh, will be pardoned. They, God will relent. But the telling of that story, and the reason I give that little illustration, is one can't even tell the story without knowing the traditions that Jonah was a part of. The scriptural traditions, the liturgical traditions, the political traditions, how the politics were stacking out his moments, his choices, the events of his life, the times that he showed faith, the times that he rejected faith were all deeply embedded in community events. So this is the question I wanted to ask you is think about the communities and events that have guided and shaped your faith. And as you're thinking of that, um, I just want an opportunity to have Molly come and join us. And I, I'm going to have Molly kind of answer that question first. Molly, it's, uh, I'm going to give you the mic, but just to say, what are the communities um, and experiences that you have had uh, over the years that have been deeply formative to your own faith? Yeah. Um, good evening. Um, I think the first, I have to start with my family. And so the joke in my family is my dad finally, he's a professor of theology, finally got a job so they could finally afford to have a kid. They had me. So I was born and raised in East Tennessee on a Baptist liberal arts college campus, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but it is what it is. <laughs> and so this community um, shaped me in ways that I couldn't really name until I was older. But from the time I was born, we always call them our friends who are like family, were the professors of the college. And so my parents, my parents' friends, their children, they were our community. It's who we went to church with. It's who we broke bread with. Um, and so questioning God and Jesus were always central. Like there's never a time where I didn't know who Jesus was. But the, the ability to question God and Jesus was always allowed. Um, and I didn't realize how rare that was until I went to that college as a student, and because we're in East Tennessee and it's a Baptist liberal arts college, it drew a very different student population. 
um, than what I was accustomed to in my experience of the professors and people. And so that clash of being in a place that was so familiar growing up and was my childhood, yet being around students who were telling me I was like going to hell for the things I believed, and I'd be like, I don't really know that there is a hell. I mean, just so that kind of tension, <laughs> you know, like that was born out of that same place and those people and out of those buildings growing up as a child running down the halls, it was really formative. And um, I really had to learn how to kind of be in that mess of faith um, and kind of meet people where they were and also learn, um, both as I learned from my family and friends and my dad as systematic theologian, but also learn from the people I was rooming with and living with and doing life with. And our communities were very different. Um, so that, what I would say, is one. Um, and then the second, when I, whenever I was in Winston at Div School, I was privileged to serve in a congregation called Green Street United Methodist Church, Baptist spotlighting in a Methodist church for a while. And um, it was, in because of that congregation, it was the most diverse congregation I've ever been a part of, politically, theologically, racially, socioeconomically, um, sexual orientation. And they didn't kind of, they never separated the gospel um, from the political nature of Jesus. And so often in my other church experience, those kind of got, Jesus was tamed down a bit, um, but not at Green Street. And I will forever be thankful for that. Um, and so it really, the gospel as politic um, is something that I will forever be shaped by in large part because of Green Street and how they stood up and stood out. And though they are poor and do not have a lot of money, every Sunday the kingdom of God is present there in ways that I had never felt in the church before. So those are two. There are lots more. I love relational meetings. Email me, molly at emmausway.net. It is, yeah. So it's molly at emmausway.net. Would love to share more and hear more about your communities. Molly with a Y, right? Yeah, yeah. So those are, thank you, Molly. That's perfect of just talking about impact from kind of your own story. I'm going to give this to you now, and let's, let's play the game. Uh, we've got uh, some time. Um, let's see how many people we can hear from tonight. So uh, a community, uh, a context, a relationship uh, 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 that deeply impacted what you understand is your faith, uh, what you understand is your own search for meaning, or even struggle with those things. It's yours. And I went to Presbyterian and I went to a Presbyterian college. This is Susan Jacobs. I'm Susan Jacobs. But in that college, I was very involved in um, our chapter of Campus Crusade for Christ. But center was, we had 800 students who were so tiny. We didn't have staff. So really everything was student-led. 
kind of student created, we kind of ruled the world. So we're really separate from Campus Crusade. And so we didn't really know kind of what their theology was. We just kind of went to their conference every year. So we had Campus Crusade for Christ, or what it, we, we didn't call it that, we call it college life. But we went to the conference, and I was, it's my first interaction with like a conservative theology. And so I go there, and I'm just like, what are they talking about? And I felt like such an alien, and I think it was so formative for me to just, to realize there were like different theologies and different ways of seeing God, and, and it helped kind of, it was the beginning of the formation of my own, you know, who am I, and what do I believe, and why is it different than this, and does that mean I'm bad, which, you know, I've struggled with for a long time. Um, been going to the Bible church. But anyway, you know, it's really formative for me. It's just the beginning of that struggle of how can you be a good person if you don't believe what they believe because they say God is this way. I suspect we probably have a lot of stories that are similar to that when the first time you encountered something that would be other but under the same name that that you might embrace. Those are, are jarring moments. Thanks, Susan. Others, communities that have impacted your, your sense of faith and your journey. realize this is also the inverse. If you've been around a long time, we do this on, um, on All Saints where we talk about persons, but we've kind of inverted and removed persons and added communities to this, but yeah. <laughs> Where exactly would that church be? <laughs> so um, the other weird thing was that I also came of age in the Jesus Freak era. Of, you know, I was in middle school in the early 1970s. And that was really formative, and it felt, um, it felt like I was being a good girl because I was going to Bible study before school and big, you know, big part of all of that and it's really been hard to shed a lot of the, the crap that I don't believe in and to find a safe place to do that um, and I spent 15 years in a Unitarian church which made me feel very safe and then I longed for language about Jesus and God and, and just out of curiosity when did you begin de- developing your interest in spiritual direction? Did you say middle school in the 70s? You must be really old. <laughs> That's when I went to middle school. <laughs> Somehow I, there was like some platform shoes that I owned that kind of flashed before my eyes there. <laughs> I remember that allowed girls to wear pants and they were polyester pants. I wanted a leisure suit, but I don't know that we were kind of in the economic group. I don't know if we could afford a leisure suit, but I wanted one. <laughs> Somebody that's fantastic. Somebody else. Communities that have impacted your, your faith journey. Um, I think I'm going to 
or even how you understand faith, because I know we have a lot. So, yeah, Joy. Well, I'm going to expose myself here as being really old, because I became a Christian in 74, and I'd already had two children. And uh, uh, my husband and I got saved on a, in a commune that was um, uh, really not a Christian commune at all, but it was a very, um, it was just a very loose, hippy be kind of place. But we did become Christians, and we got baptized, and we had, a, we had absolutely no idea what we were doing, but we knew that something was wrong about this commune. And so we lived in Santa Barbara, and um, we went to Jean Edwards Church out of Wim. I don't know if anybody here knows Jean Edwards, but anyway, he's, he's pretty formative in a lot of Christian um, theology. Anyway, we went to his church, and it was very lively and full of love and worship. And we knew, yeah, this is what this is what we really were looking for. But we left there, and we um, moved to Sacramento. And for the next probably uh, 15, 20 years, my husband and I looked for a community that had the elements that we had experienced. That wasn't all about church, but it was about love, taking care of one another. We searched and searched, and in um, 2006, we uh, moved to a Christian, intentional Christian community in Tennessee, the opposite side of where Molly was, on the western side. And we lived in that community, and that was what we'd been looking for. That was um, a very um, warm, embracing community. We lived there. My husband ended up passing away, so, but I stayed for another six years, and then this thing kept coming into my mind about a neighborhood, because I lived in this little cocoon of everybody just loving on you all the time, you know, and, and serving and working, and, but I just felt like we were so um, isolated that we needed to, we needed to get out there, so I had this desire to move into a, a neighborhood, and that's how I ended up here. Um, well, I have a daughter that lives here, too, but anyway, that's how I ended up here, And but my heart was so wanting a community, because that was how I had been kind of groomed into Christianity, and that's when I found Emmaus, and kind of a fluke there, too, and, and that was really what I wanted. Met that need that, but my journey was kind of always on the fringe of uh, of church life. <laughs> you know, it was just, and, and then I ended up here. It's interesting too, and I, as I look around the room, there's several people here, and there's been many through the years who have been deeply. You know, influenced by intentional community. It's a story we'll probably tell in a couple of weeks that you know this, this community spent essentially a year deciding whether we would be a church or a more intentional community. So that there's a little bit of our DNA that's had that, but many people through the years have come who've had that kind of experience. Thank you, Joy, for telling that story. Well, the interesting thing, I, I'm talking a lot here, but um, what, how I heard about this community was from, um, there's some people that lived in a Bruderhof Mennonite community, and they traveled to Tennessee to visit our community and left some literature, 
And in that literature, it talked about this book that you had written. <laughs> this is the only reference to a book that I've written ever. <laughs> I knew it would happen. I knew that sometime I were just patient, there would be a reference. And here it is. <laughs> so my friend that lives and still lives there, she said, this, do you ever hear of Tim? And, you know, in this uh, Emmaus way, Dora? And I said, no, but I, I will check it out. And that's how it goes. Bizarre. <laughs> I will call Zondervan and say, I found the buyer. <laughs> Others, uh, communities that influenced your sense of faith. I'm Sean, by the way, for those who are new. So I grew up as a pastor's orange kid, which has its own weird dynamics. Like, I, I can't relate to pastor's kids, but I can at the same time. Um, and so growing up in the church, um, I had several communities, whether it was like in education or in youth group. And the other youth group were only special Christians um, on like Sunday nights. Um, that was a cool thing in my church. Um, so that was a thing. And then it conditioned me to want to go to Christian higher education. My experience as Youth of Pacific was incredibly formative. Um, and it was mostly my out of the classroom experience of experiencing an intentional community that was very, um, that honestly led me to life to live more authentically. And, um, that community and moving on to Baylor for grad school and finding a similar community there um, helped me find that like a big part of me that I was keeping that was pushing out was the part of me that was queer. And so in being in, now in between these two worlds, I found this like I found myself kind of feeling like a unicorn, like kind of rare, um, <laughs> and um, living this life as a unicorn of being able to. Um, live my life essentially as a contradiction because I think, I mean, not I don't believe it's a contradiction, but I think our society kind of feels that way. Of, um, these two are mutually exclusive. They shouldn't inform one another, but for me, that's like so true. And so um, I think that's taught me a lot about what my relationship with Jesus looks like and um, what grace looks like, what hospitality looks like, and um, yeah, just every day of extending grace and um, I, especially like in um, social media and with the conversations that are happening in the nation of like, like, no, but listen to them and like see them as people and see them as people. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, interesting. it's an interesting space to be in. I hear and have, having had couple of great relational meetings with you, um, that your, your passion and roots that landed you in student life work through all of that. But uh, yeah, that, and that's actually a great phrase. I, I would guess that there's a few stories around here that kind of had like, I had that kind of unicorn faith to some degree because it didn't fit the norms. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Anybody else? that 
that is a church that's, that is Baptist, and um, but it's also very liturgical and involved in a lot of social justice work in the city. And so um, I have had a lot of really diverse experiences as a Baptist growing up in the South. Um, when I went to Carolina, I was involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I was talking um, last week to talk about that a little bit because there was a lot of good that came out of that time of learning new ways to view Bible study and prayer, but it was also a very painful time because it was generally not um, theology that lined up with what I what I believed, and there weren't really other options for me on campus, I, I felt at the time. And so I've had a lot of experience being in communities that are more conservative than I am and talk a lot about Jesus, but not about social justice. And communities that talk a lot about social justice, but maybe not as much about Jesus. And um, I think that that's been helpful to pull me in both directions. I would suspect, uh, Mary Elizabeth, that there's a lot of stories here that fit that norm, too, that I, I didn't exactly fit in the thing that uh, maybe either um, intellectually, theologically, with the community that I was in, but the community was rich to me. And I realized that we're probably that for some, a lot of people here, too, that we're that community of people that does something differently than what would be normal for you, but there's something here that keeps you here. And so there's that sense of dissonance that we all have some in our, in our stories where we're not only embracing the communities that we're in, but isn't it interesting that several of these stories involved some pushing and struggling, struggling and some tension with the communities that they're a part of. Um, I think we have time for, Mark, I think we've got time for one more. Is that sound good? Yeah. At least one more. So. <laughs> it's 629. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So let's do one more. These are great. Fantastic. Brett. Yeah, my name's Brett. Um, I grew up like one street across from, from my church, or one street over from my church. Uh, and the church was, you know, I wasn't a pastor's kid, but we were best friends with the pastor's kids. <laughs> and, you know, they, we, all, we all grew up together, and we rode our, we rode our bikes up to church. Um, and it was very, it was just a very central part of growing up. And my parents lived in the same house for, before I was born. Um, and so it's just being right there, um, so so close to a, to a church community. It was just a very central part of my life that I never realized until I left um, how important it was. And that's where that was always the place that I found just friendship. Um, you know, we, even in being in a small, a medium-sized town, like everyone in our area, we all went to the same elementary school, and middle school, and high school, which was also just like less than a mile, like you know, a mile away. And um, and so we it was the same community at church that we were then friends with. We were like all friends at school, and uh, we all kind of grew up together. Um, and then I don't know. From then on, I've actually left all that, uh, left all that to go to college. But nobody else from my high school, um, you know, went to. You um, know, and then from college moved to Durham with nobody else from my college. Um, well, barely anybody. And so it's been an experience of like constantly, like finding deep set community wherever I'm at um, and, and reaching, searching out for that and feeling feeling like a sense of home. Um, and that's when I first, I mean, I came to Emmaus Way the first week that I was in Durham. Um, and here. Been here. 
Yeah, it's funny, and Mark, yeah, why don't you come and lead us in confession and absolution? And I think, you know, as I look around the room, uh, it's been a part of so many of the weddings that are in this room. And, you know, when you're in those type of rituals, you see in many ways, uh, a lot of you've had such rich, thick, deep community, as well as many times have parts of your community life that, that, that brought significant pain to you. And so uh, we'll continue that. So here's the, here's the, the punchline is I'd love for you to keep doing this. This is a great way to kind of continue the relational meetings that we've been doing is, is asking people, uh, sitting down, finding space to ask them what communities have impacted, uh, what you yearn for, what you long for, what you push back against, uh, what has wounded you, and what has given you hope. Uh, those are all fantastic questions. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more of a, a broader journey that we have together with the sense of what might that mean in the future. So in, uh, in the question of, of sort of what, what, what does community look like, this is, this is a little bit of an odd um, song of confession. So, um, but somehow it felt right. And, and I think the reason it felt right for me is that it's still an acknowledgement. And we've done this song a few times, although it's been a while. Um, you know, the chorus of this song says, if you break down, I'll drive out and find you. If you forget my love, I'll try to remind you and I'll stay by you when it don't come easy. And I think the confession part of this for me is that it, it still admits that, um, that there are times where we break down, right? It still admits that there are times where we need help. Um, and so that part feels like a confession to me. At the same time, I think uh, what, it, what it sort of shows is what we are in search for is a, is a community where we would do that for one another. Uh, where, where we do, in fact, meet each other in the broken places of our lives. So this is a great song Patty Griffin uh, wrote years ago uh, called When It Don't Come Easy. Do is undone. 
time keeps moving from the cross to the right. I wonder if we wanna ever get home. You're out there walking down a highway. All the signs got blown away. Well, sometimes you wonder if you're walking in the wrong direction. So this, this is a new song for us. We haven't done this one before. And I've already fielded a couple of questions. Uh, one from my wife actually saying, why are we doing this song? <laughs> and Ben asked me that too. He's like, this is going to be interesting. I don't know how this is going to fit in. So here's how I think it fits in. I think it fits in because um, as an absolution... I'm not really sure that we can ask for much more than, than to be known. Um, I was having a conversation with Brandon Bain a few weeks ago as we were talking about, um, we were actually talking about a, a Sufjan Stevens song uh, where there's this moment where Sufjan says that he, he, he implies at least that he was not known, that, that as, a, as a child growing up in certain, certain community contexts, he was un, an unknown. And I, I, this song to me just strikes me as how beautiful it is to be known by someone. Um, that person may be a friend, it may be a lover, it may be a spouse, it may be, um, it could be a parent, could be a place. 
But this is a song that I think really uh, speaks to speaks to the act of belonging, and I think that that's what we are uh, offered in the act of absolution tonight is a sense of belonging with another. This past week, um, I went to meet my lifelong best friend's new baby. Now, Meredith and I have been friends since birth, as in 
We were born a month apart, and in church, our baby beds were side by side. Lifelong best friend. So I was headed to Nashville to meet her baby, Sam, and on the way, I decided that I wanted to stop at my folks' house in East Tennessee to be a part of this first community that was so formative. And my mom has the beautiful gift of hospitality, and she loves when her daughter is home, and so she decided to gather our friends who are like family for dinner on Monday night. And so people gathered, the Brummets, the Garners, and the Browns, and as we were sitting around my folks' table, like we have so many times before, about to break bread with pizza and some salad, I paused to give thanks because it hit me in this community so many times. We have cried together, we have celebrated, we have laughed, we have gotten mad at one another, we have disagreed, we have pushed each other's buttons. And yet around that table, I am known. In her essay, The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House, Audre Lorde claims, without community, there is no liberation, only the most vulnerable and temporary armistice between an individual and her oppression. But community must not mean a shedding of our differences, nor the pathetic pretense that these differences do not exist. And I think that's the beauty of authentic community. At its best, it is a liberating force that names and celebrates difference. And I think that that's why Jesus chose to hang out in community and chose to break bread with a motley crew of folks for he didn't shy away from difference, but instead embraced it as they worked toward liberation together with the power of a love that changed everything. And I think that that's why we have Eucharist, the breaking of bread and sharing of wine, to remember, yes, but also to look into the eyes of those in those within our community to actually see one another, to know that though we may be different and the communities that have shaped us are different, we are a more powerful force to be reckoned with in community with one another than apart. And so tonight, as we come to break bread, we probably have already laughed, cried, celebrated, disagreed, or pushed one another's buttons at some point or the other. And yet, we come to see one another. And we come to remember that at this table, we claim community in Christ together. And that our being community, our being about the love of God in the world, changes everything. Thanks be to God.